Hello and welcome to, unfortunately, not Jack Frost. We at Negative Modifier apologize for interrupting our ongoing playthrough of Jack Frost. We've had a bit of a production snafu and we hope to be continuing our time in Willis next week, but we find ourselves with a bit of a production delay, a kind of combination of just timelines and editing and whatnot. So we're trying something a little bit different. If you've been paying attention to our social media, you may remember a few posts about a year or so back where a question was asked of like, hey, what are some topics you'd like to see talked about in broader terms about tabletop RPGs? New players, representation, how to handle sensitive topics, all that stuff, things that, you know, we kind of do with some frequency here at Negative Modifier, for better or worse, as we kind of tend to play these darker games and they touch on a variety of these topics. And well, this is what that list was for. I've been playing around with kind of some stuff to do kind of in between our major actual play seasons. We typically take kind of a fairly notable break and having something we could maybe break those time spans up with an episode or two every once in a while that's tabletop RPG, but not, I guess, actual play is something we've been kicking around some in the background. And I thought that this might not be a bad time to try, well, one of the ideas we've been messing around with in the background out. So yeah, we're going to talk about some general tabletop RPG stuff in this. I don't have a name for this yet. I've had a couple ideas like calling it Table Flip or Table Talk or something along those lines. Whatever I wind up calling this, that's what we went with, I guess. And I hope you enjoy this. It's something new, something different. We'll, as I said, we'll be back to our normal kind of program hopefully next week. Again, apologies for that. Kind of life got in the way of some stuff. And rather than having you miss a week when we're actually posting content, I thought we would try this out. Editor's note slash Charlie bullshit GM note. If you are listening to this and this is somehow in the playlist or RSS feed after Jack Frost concluded, that is some timeline fuckery on my part that I fully admit to now. So if I chose to leave this kind of mid-season, neat. If not, this aired kind of around episode three of Jack Frost and uh, stuff was about to get really crazy in the show. And again, sorry for us plot playing Jack Frost. Alex, make your goddamn Jack Frost pun now. I know you have one waiting. Oh, I have a few. Hold on. Let me grab my notepad. All right. <clears throat> so, yeah, sorry for the delay with Jack Frost. We had a slight production freeze. So instead, we're going to go with a pretty chill episode concept. Hopefully this doesn't accept you guys and uh, doesn't put us on thin ice. All, all those puns withstanding. If you're still listening, <laughs> thank you. And uh, I edit all those out normally, but we're doing this. <laughs> If you have not listened to our behind-the-scenes stuff, you may be familiar with the Alex the Punster, but if not, yes! It's going to be a tad different. So, one of the topics that got brought up, we've been asked on numerous occasions, both on Twitter and a couple other places, specifically me because I spend a lot of time trying to get people into tabletop RPGs in general, is about kind of the new player experience. One of the things I am pretty adamant about noting is that there's a lot of new player quotations on new player on that one unfortunately content out there that's written by people that have been playing tabletop rpgs for 5 10 15 20 plus years and it's not bad for like kind of new players but with some frequency it's not really indicative of the truly new and kind of in this modern era of what that experience is like like you're talking about people myself included in this category that if you told me, hey, I'm going to go play D&D &D online back when I first was playing D&D, &D, 
that would have meant like some play-by-post forum madness or like getting on Skype and that's not how we do things. And we have Real20, we have Foundry, we have Forge, we have a bunch of other VTTs out there. Hell, Discord does a better job of facilitating all of that than anything I had back when I was playing 3.5e. And if you add up kind of all of the various negative modifier cast experience with tabletop RPGs, that experience is old enough to rent a car by last measure. And I'm not talking like at that super expensive, like extra insurance. I'm talking like at that, like boring 26 year old. Yeah. Getting the sedan and drive rate. Yeah. We've all been playing them for a long time, except for Alex. He is relatively new to this. And I figured that he could actually, what's the right phrase, provide a more accurate, I guess, new player experience. And well, Alex, um, would you like to reveal the shocking news that we talked about before getting into this? Yeah, so my first tabletop experience was actually Tales from the Loop. Like an actual game that we played was that. I have never played an actual campaign of D&D. Like an actual tabletop, like you create an original, you know, like what is it, like a barbarian or a wizard and all that stuff. I've never done that. I've never done it an original traditional game of D&D. I may have dabbled in like the weird like video game version of like when they try to do some sort of weird stuff yeah. like that in a video game. Like I know there's one I was playing with some friends recently called like Solterra or something like that, which is kind of neat. But that was recently. And it's like this weird, you know, you design video game character stuff, but like like an actual, you know, where you roll the dice, if you will, kind of like D&D campaign lack of a better term i've never played that ever I, i'm really going to talk about something even weirder i don't think you've ever played a tabletop rpg where a d20 is the primary die yeah this is a uh, 100 accurate yeah yes. it's always been i've been the guy you've played most with i think at this point have you played anything that's not run by me yet no i have yeah. only played games that are run by you and in fact we're gonna just to add another like little stipulation on top of that i have never played a D campaign in person all the campaigns I've played have been online with you. Yeah, like I said, we have a kind of unique experience that I think is more indicative of the modern new player experience in a lot of ways and kind of the advice we can give on that than someone like me who has to actually do math in my head to figure out how long I've been playing tabletop RPGs. Like, it's a very different world than what I grew up in playing type of thing. And yeah, I, I just kind of dig into that stuff. So Tales from the Loop was the first one you played. For those not familiar with that, that's a Year Zero Engine game. We played it a couple times on Twitch. I think it's one of, if not the most accessible new player tabletop RPGs out there. I, I'm aware that dice pool systems have their problems. I think just from a kind of understanding character creation and just kind of getting the world of, hey, it's the 80s, but not. It's mm -hmm. very accessible from a both new GM standpoint and new player standpoint. I also just like the Year Zero engine and kind of find that setting fun where it's like, it has a darkness to it if you want it there. It also can be just the 80s, which is full of Dion and Chrome and bad one-liners at that point. If any game was, like, kind of primed for an interesting resurgence, it would be Tales from the Loop, considering, like, it strangely, I guess, kind of coincides with, like, Stranger Things in a way. Or, like, maybe it's not monsters, but, like, there is that idea of, like, your kids out solving an adventure, and maybe, it, you know, there is, like, the secret, you know, corporation that's doing stuff and this and that. So, like... yeah. There's a couple other games called Kids on Bikes, and I think it's Demons and Demogorgons. I'm probably getting that name wrong. But yeah, there's two other games that are basically, that's how, what's it? They basically are Stranger Things, the game in some ways. Like mm -hmm. part of why I kind of steer into 
they're a little i'm not gonna say complicated but i think kind of there's a there's a bit more of a curve to them like i think what makes the years of your engine so good at being a new player game is the fact that like it's there's no confusion about what happens in that game it's very instantaneous resolve you're looking for sixes like the rules for that game fit on a page and it's attribute plus skill equals dice pool roll did you get a six yeah then you pass yeah and the kids can't die they're immortal because they're kids and no one wants an 80s movie where the kid gets knocked out type of thing yeah it's very friendly like in terms of like the introduction which was good for me because like i said i was coming into this kind of like fresh and i remember when charlie reached out to me and was like hey you know we were kind of doing this thing here and you're interested like we can play this game and Charlie was really good about like getting me, I guess, acclimated with this, like, well, this is the system. Cause I'm thinking like, okay, I'm coming into a tabletop campaign. It's going to be like this whole thing. I have to learn and this and that it's going to be really complex, but you know, the, would you say that it's a year zero engine or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty straightforward and all that. So yeah, it is a very accessible game for sure. No, so. and the roll 20 version of it makes it even more accessible. I think, cause it's just, press the button and the system's pretty good about saying yes or no. Did you pass at that point? Yeah. Yeah, I guess like that's the thing worth noting. Like Negative Modifier technically started off as just a home game where it was me, Alex, and Jad just playing Tales from the Loop with some other people. And as I tend to do with every hobby I have, I try and turn it into something more podcasty eventually. And here we are. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny because it, it started right when like a lot of tabletop games just kind of like there was a surge in tabletop gaming yep. because of the pandemic. Yeah. So like a lot of that really just kind of picked up and you heard a lot about like tabletop gaming, just kind of blowing up, especially with like, I mean, even like stories of like Hollywood tabletop gaming where you have what's his face. Um, oh, um, Joe, um, men, Ganilla men. Yeah. That, that yeah. dude who has like the epic, like D and D like tabletop groove, like group at his house. And he's got that giant room set up and, it's like the quote unquote elite game to be a part of, which is yeah. kind of neat because he's even got like, I guess he's like, he's sponsored by that company that you like a lot, Charlie. What is what? it called again? Wizard? No, no, no. The, the, the murder your thirst. Oh, um, uh, yes. <laughs> liquid death. Liquid death. Yeah. And so I remember, I think they, they had like liquid death there or something like that, but it was very on point for like that, like style and motif, but yes. So like you, I was starting to hear stories about all that stuff. So it was kind of interesting that like it kind of lined up where you hear this like research, just this huge surge in like tabletop and all that stuff going on around the pandemic. And then all of a sudden, you know, Charlie hits me up and is like, hey, I'm, I'm kind of doing this D&D. Well, not, I'm doing this tabletop campaign because it wasn't D&D, of course. Are you interested? I'm like, sure. You know, and we had already been doing the pot, you know, Wicked Awesome cast for God, how many years now at that point? A bunch, yeah. It, yeah. I, yeah, that was kind of when I was putting together the negative modifier team. That was kind of the thing where I was either looking for, do you have a lot of tabletop RPG experience, or do you have a lot of podcast experience? Then this is probably a whole episode into itself of like things to understand before you start an actual play podcast. To some extent, like it's not playing normal. I think like one of the things I probably said on the Discord server a couple times is you don't want the raw version of us playing. It goes through an intensive editing process to sound as good as it does, and not just from a kind of audio quality standpoint, like the amount of um and ah and rule lookup that we just don't include because it's not interesting. And like to think we like to keep things moving at kind of a brisk pace. Like, it's a very different experience at that point. Kind of when I was putting together the team for it, it was, okay, 
do you understand the idea of either kind of keep it moving or keep it interesting, I guess, is maybe the way of thinking of it. Like, does that make sense? Yeah, no, definitely. What's it called? Yeah. So but I, it, it, I will say it's really interesting because like if you were to Venn diagram like us players now, the circle yeah. of people who have like experience with podcasting or I guess experience with like tabletop and then experience with podcasting. I'm probably the only person by myself in the podcasting side of it. And then yeah. the rest of you guys would all kind of like Venn diagram on each other because I was coming in fresh. Cause I will say, well, I guess, I mean, should I, should I just kind of just dive into it as far as like yeah, the experience goes? That's what we're going to talk about. Yeah. So let's dive in. Okay. I guess like, I think that's the, the topic is the new player experience and kind of things you wish you'd known things that like I could have done better. You could have done better. Like it's, yeah, it's, this is the honest conversation about like warts and all of the new player experience in the modern era of VTTs and like not to put you on blast. Do you own any of the books physically that we've played for anything from? No. Yeah. And I, I think that's not. an increasingly normal thing. Like I own more PDFs at this point than I do physical books because one of them is $10. Another one takes up shelf space. Yeah. So I guess coming into the space, like obviously I was concerned, like, well, I got to make sure I do my research and this and that. And like putting together a new character was pretty simple for Tales from the Loop because it wasn't, a, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to come up with something there. And to be fair, like coming up with a character, like storyline and all that stuff, I, I, I'm, I'm fairly creative in that process. So it's, it's not too difficult. Although sometimes I, I do kind of hit mental roadblocks with that stuff, but you're also really good about like when we do like, game like day zero kind of setups and we're like going through the process of getting things configured yeah. you're really good about that process and guiding us through it and answering questions which was just makes it super helpful I let's talk about that for a quick second i think one of the kind of most glossed over things in the new player experience is the importance of a session zero like and we do this as part of negative modifier maybe some people have noticed maybe we haven't like we've done now three things with delta green at this point and from a GM and podcaster perspective, I have to assume that, yeah, I'd like to listen to all of our stuff through and kind of get the continuity of that. But also at the same time, it's someone's first time listening to a Delta Green thing, hypothetically. And I take the time to kind of make sure that people kind of get what it's about in the podcast. And when it comes to the Session Zero stuff, like spilling over to that, it's something you really should do. A lot of people just think of Session Zero as a chance to kind of make a character, make some jokes. and whatnot but i think kind of there's an importance of kind of providing more context to it and especially for new players like really encourage some questions as part of that like it's the i occasionally learn things about what we're about to start playing from the questions alex asked i would never think to ask because i've been doing this so long it's like oh who would ever think to that question it's a really good question actually i don't have a good answer for that i need to come up with something <laughs> yeah i uh i'm always thankful for the session zeros because like you do provide a lot of really interesting insight and it's always nice because like, so it is, it's also, I will say, I guess just to kind of, since we're talking about like the new player experience and all that stuff. Yeah. The first session zero we had when it was you, myself, Jad, and yeah, for the home Dylan. game, right? Yeah. For, yeah. well, for Delta Green. Oh, yeah, for, uh, for um Hawthorne. Yeah. yeah. For Hawthorne was absolutely intimidating, by the way, for me anyway, not because of like, you know, you or anybody in particular it was just everyone in the in the game was super knowledgeable on delta green like listening to dylan talk about like some of the like 
specifics of the game and all that stuff because Dylan also is very like knowledgeable on some of the Delta Green stuff. So listening to Dylan like kind of go over that stuff with you was like, oh, it's like the, Dylan's really knowledgeable. That's awesome. And but at the same time, I'm like, shit, I should really like take notes on some of this stuff because it's it's going to be important. And it's like it it in a way me coming into it was like, oh, fuck, I'm, I, I really hope I don't like drag the team down because I don't have a lot of knowledge in Delta Green. But it's it's never been I've never gotten that vibe from anybody on this podcast, like or even just any of our tabletop sessions. Yeah. As far as that goes, where it's like, oh, well, you should know that kind of thing, you know, like that's never been the case. So luckily, it's been really, really nice as far as that whole thing goes. And it's yeah, no, it's been really, really cool. And like, I think session zeros have always been a lot of fun with all of our characters, because like you get to share some really cool little insights on your characters and like. It's interesting, I will say, like I said, like finding out little things about what our characters are like and, you know, kind of going over stat roles and this and that and then kind of bouncing things off of each other is always really interesting during that process, which is it's kind of funny because you would think like when you're doing your character, you'd want to keep that stuff to yourself. But like, it doesn't really matter because like you're in the end of the day, you're all working as a team anyway. So it's like, oh, well, you know, it's it's cool. Like also kind of like a, a thing you did naturally that we all kind of did for Hawthorne was everyone kept a little bit of their kind of secrets to themselves. Like everyone had one or two things they didn't share with everyone else that we talked about separately. And I got to admit, you kind of took to that naturally the whole kind of like once you got like, I think what you kind of like, it's actually focused on something you said that's pretty important. The whole like you chose to kind of focus on the, OK, I'm going to take notes and like really try and like understand what this is about. You got what Delta Green was about before you totally got all the rules i think that's actually kind of an important detail to make because i can help someone understand rules if someone's not kind of understanding what a setting is or kind of what the stab of what we're trying to do with something is that's a whole separate topic i think that's actually a big kind of hurdle that a lot of new players run into where they get kind of bogged down and okay i gotta understand everything about the rules no one knows everything about the rules and it's about kind of understanding the flow and kind of what people are looking to do versus kind of like we look stuff up all the time. You don't need to know exactly what the kind of like exhaustion nor their exposure when it's like 3 PM and the Venus is in retrograde rules are no one knows that. And if they do power to them, but like, yeah, making sure you kind of lock into like, okay, here's the vibe. Here's the kind of like theme of what we're going for. Here's the feeling, I guess, if that makes any sense. Like, yeah, that's, I think more important for a new player in a lot of ways than just kind of, harping on all the rules because rules are simple like you can look them up you can read them after the fact like but if you don't kind of get what you're doing that makes the rules kind of just like okay these are rules but what do they mean oh i'm so paranoid about like coming into a scene or a situation and i'm like what am i supposed to be doing like (laughs) and i think i've explained it to you in the past especially with the way some of my characters are built because i'm realizing a lot of my characters are built very much to be hitters yeah like that's the that's what I'm comfortable doing. Well, to be fair, my first character wasn't actually a hitter. My first character for Delta Green was actually a lab geek, from what I remember. From the um, infamous Wendigo story. Yeah. yeah, the Wendigo story. That's right. Yeah, it was a lab geek who actually got like, well, they got, you know, super strong. But that was because of a circumstance in in the campaign. But like, yeah, yeah no, my, my first character was lab geek. And then after that, I, you know, I played my my other character, but he was very much, you know, a hitter. For the most part and like i i was realizing like i was really i, I understood the, that part of the character and it, it made a lot of sense but like there were situations when we go into like some of the investigation stuff like i understand there are certain things i i i i, I know 
because it's it's me like as as a person i understand like oh i, I can always do this and it's like well does my character know that should i mention that am i like is that something i should know like yeah would my character even know that yeah yeah so it's always kind of this weird little like situation no i think i have loose back to what i was talking about like it's that's the big difference between mechanics and kind of getting your character kind of getting the system at that point like Delta Green, from a mechanic standpoint, pretty easy. It's roll under, it's centile based. Mm-hmm. Understanding that, like, I, the person, am familiar with X, Y, and Z about network security, but my character who's like, typewriters are newfangled witchcraft technology might yeah. not know that. Yeah, no, exactly. And actually, I, to be fair, too, like, I think when we, we kind of were going through some of the, the campaign stuff, I was checking in with you and be like, hey, like, did I play this okay? Like, yeah. I think I did that several times throughout the the yeah. campaign was like when especially when like my character developed like a, a new break if you will like i think it was when my character first developed paranoia actually yeah and yeah because i i think that was the first time i hit my a breaking point well if you haven't listened to the episode to the campaign spoiler alert so be warned um like yeah said, we assume you've listened to all the previous <laughs> stuff but also if this is your first episode of us go listen to another one this is not the yeah. best first episode yeah so moving forward from this point spoilers so yeah, I think it was just before we went to the college or to the university, I had developed a breaking point. And yeah. I think I chose paranoia. Yep. And so I think at that point, like I, I and I thought I was I, I was trying to figure out how to do it where it wasn't too annoying, but I kept doing like what was it? I can't remember what the Alert mechanic checks. alertness checks and, and like search yeah, search checks. Just because like, you know, it was like, oh, something flared up, now I'm paranoid about it. And like and I think I remember I would check in with you and be like, hey, was I like you know, not doing, was it, you know, over the top? And you're like, no, dude, you played it great. Like I was always checking in with you not to make sure I was going over the top with some of these situations. And it was nice because you were always encouraging about it. So no, and I, th- I think like you've, you've kind of touched on another important topic, which is that like, pardon my French on this one, but also this is negative modifier. If your GM isn't cool with you asking a bunch of questions like that, you have a dick for a GM and find a new person to play with. Like I, I've never gotten mad at a new player, not like, asking questions like hey am i playing this right like is this does this make sense like those are fun questions to answer i guess for me kind of like you're also helping a person get more comfortable at that point if you're playing with new players as a gm you should be expecting those questions and if you're a new player you should be asking those questions i guess too if you're not comfortable with something or kind of not sure you're doing something right just ask like most people in the hobby are pretty you know friendly on that topic for the most part yeah because i also the thing is too like when you play like like if you pick up like a certain like you know breaking point disorder or something like that you also don't want to like play it up to it be a stereotype or something like where it becomes like silly or maybe like if you're punching down and that's always been kind of a thing i've been worried about if i pick something along like that because like i think even like i think my first character actually going back to the first character my 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 lab geek guy i think when i had played him he was I, i had played him slightly on the spectrum as far as like his personality goes, but it was never like in a disrespectful way or anything. It was just kind of like the persona. And like, I would always check in with you guys to be like, was it like, okay. Was yeah. it like, and all that. And I think even Dylan had mentioned, like you did, you know, it was a nice yeah. job of like kind of the way it was handled. It wasn't anything weird or disrespectful and all that kind of thing. So like, I'm always like very cautious of like not wanting to like play something where it becomes a caricature of something. Like yeah, I think that's and that's an important kind of mindset to have. I think. I think also like as someone who's been playing these for a long time, 
I just have a list of things I will not play because I don't feel comfortable like actually portraying them. Like there was a big topic a few a few years back as of recording this about kind of the D and D combat wheelchair, and I had no issues with that. But at the same time, my mentality was. I'm never going to use this because I cannot accurately portray what someone in a wheelchair would be going through in these cases. Like I, I thankfully have two working legs and like, I'm not capable of like fully grasping what this means to that person. And as a result, I don't think I'm qualified to play that type of character. Yeah, no, I, I, I would agree with you on that. There's, there's certain things I, I would not like things I yeah. would not make a part of my character just because like one, I, I would not be part like, I would not be comfortable doing it, even if I was doing it, you know, respectfully. It's just not something I would want to do because I don't know if I could find an angle to do it where it doesn't feel like it's being respectful because it's just it's not who I am kind of thing. Yeah, it just feels I guess for lack of a better word, it would feel weird. I like, try to do. No, yeah, and I again, kind of interesting topic you bring up, like especially if you're new to tabletop RPGs, play characters you're comfortable with. Like it's yeah. There's a reason lots of people play hitters for their first characters. It's a more straightforward kind of you can wrap your head around character. And I'm I'm not sure where the stigma came from, but you know it's a lot of fun to play hitters. Why? They hit stuff. They're fun. They're very active, kind of reactive characters that like when the shit hits the fan, you get to fix shit and do cool action movie stuff. And yeah, I know it's not as kind of intricate or kind of streamlined or sexy as a mage kind of character of some kind, but you know, especially when you're kind of new to something. A character this whole thing is I hit stuff real hard and real good. They're fun. They'll get you comfortable the rest of the game at that point, so you'll learn a lot from playing a more simplified character because you can focus on the rest of the game at that point, too, I think. The other thing, too, is like you can have a hitter with a personality. You yeah. don't have to be like a architectural hitter that's just kind of like bland, if you will. You know, like you My can name add... is Nails. I hit stuff with a sword. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like you can have, like, I, I will say, like, I think Foxtrot is an example of a character that like he started off, I guess for the lack of a better term. Yeah. He started off as a stereotypical, like kind of a weird, like, yeah, he's a hitter and he's trying to be like this weird cool guys. Don't look at explosion kind of character, but he very much kind of grew and evolved with his team. And like, as he bonded with them, be it in a horrible situation because of all the work they were doing, like there was, it was his way of creating like actual bonds and stuff like that. And as the story went on, like, there were some real situations where like, yeah, this is kind of fucked up. But at the same time, like it's, you know, he's, he's growing with these people and he's, it's become, I guess at this point is it just sounds like it's a humble brag kind of situation. But like, I felt like there were some layers to Foxtrot that kind of no, just kind I, of developed. I think you're actually touching on an important thing too, which is the whole idea of like, it's very easy even for veteran players to get bogged down in the idea of this is my character. This is what they're all about. And you're not playing a single player game. You're playing a collaborative storytelling exercise for all purposes. And like your character should change and have stuff change about them and evolve because of what happens. And I think kind of, again, to kind of take it back to the new player advice, don't be rigid about stuff. Like, yeah, like the character, the character of Foxtrot at the start of Hawthorne versus the end is a night and day character. And I think it's kind of a combination of you got more comfortable playing the character and just kind of, with the group and kind of you kind of understood like what the push and take dynamics were and kind of what you could do with your character but also characters find grooves like it's the every first couple of kind of sessions of a game are a little bit awkward's the wrong phrase i think but like, like even if you've been playing with a group for a long time that first kind of game of trying to feel people's characters out like what they're doing with that character it's not an instantaneous thing and i think a lot of people kind of fixate on like 
the group will work immediately and the answer from my perspective is like no they shouldn't like if your characters have some friction right off the bat or kind of like butt heads a little bit as long as it's actually still fun and productive and kind of interesting to play through embrace that some like if people get so hung up on like doing everything right and making sure everything clicks right off the bat they kind of lose sight of no like part of the fun of the story is that like you have in the case of delta green and hawthorne's crusade we had three or four characters that were slammed together because someone told them to be together and was like yeah go do some stuff what if we don't know each other don't care go do some stuff yeah and i mean hell like again well again spoilers but like midway through with one of the characters dying we had a whole new character get mixed yep. into the bunch so it was like yeah it sure it was the same player but it's it's a whole new character dynamic so like having that introduction ha- kind of happen all over again was kind of interesting especially midway through the campaign and yeah like those personalities kind of you know the personalities of the group before father faust's you know died and then afterwards when we had jad's new character was it Firestarter, right? I think yeah, yeah. it was Firestarter. Like it, it, it was the dynamic of the group definitely changed. Like it was it was interesting to say the least. But like the group made it work. Like it was it was fun. Like we had blast. Let's throw on a topic there for a second. So the topic of player death and tabletop RPGs is maybe not divisive, but there are kind of various camps for it. As a new player character, as of recording this, I have not successfully killed one of your characters. Maybe that'll change the future. Who knows type of thing. By the time this is whatever it winds up order wise. But how did that feel? I guess like it's it's well, been so long since I had a character die or killed someone's character that like I am cold and jaded and up on my mountain being like, I am terrible. Hear me roar. Well, I guess. Well, first off, technically, you kind of have if we're counting the Wendigo. Oh, yeah. I forgot about the Wendigo thing. I, I did not kill your character. You did it, but my character did die in the Ooh, Wendigo. Yes, I forgot about that. Yeah, let's talk, let's talk about that one then, I guess, too. Okay. Well, I guess we'll kind of go into both. Well, we yeah. can bring up both because. No, yeah, it's, the... it's fair. Like, it's two very different, I think, mindsets and emotional kind of journeys to go on in some ways. Like, on one hand, it's your character. The other hand, it's someone else's character that you've spent numerous sessions with at that point, kind of bonding with. Well, I mean, so, okay, so it's funny because, like, I knew that one way or another my character was going to die in the Wendigo campaign because I was infected. It was a matter of time that something was going to happen to me. So we telegraphed even harder, too, where, like, we introduced players that's whole job was to observe and eventually put down Alex's character. Like, we were pretty upfront about, like, no, you're infected. Maybe you survived this operation, but, like, your, your time is numbered. Yeah. And the thing is, like, the as a, as a player, because I've listened, I listen to you guys, you know, because I, I, I obviously I'm listening to you guys like when you're doing your side conversations and, and, and I'm, you know, present for that. But obviously my character is unaware of all this. So I can't metagame that because that would be really shitty to try to, like, pretend that I know all this stuff. So, like, I know one way or another this character is going to die, whether or not it's going to happen by the in the hands of, like, it, you know, the, the two people who show up. Or it being, you know, I get killed by the Wendigo or, you know, something else. Like, it's just, I was aware that this was going to be a thing. So, like, I had already accepted it was going to happen. Yeah, you kind of tried to make your peace with it in a weird way. You're right, yeah. So, uh, that being said, with Foxtrot, I don't think I told you, but I've actually made peace with that character a few times because I had a feeling that my character might have died in certain situations, and then they ended up surviving. The first time was actually when the father Faustus died, because I had a feeling because I think I think between Faustus and myself at that point, we were pretty close in terms of like who was going to 
lose their willpower first, I believe. Yeah. Like we were pretty low. And in my mind, I was in the contemplation of like, okay, so I know I don't think I've told you this story yet, actually, have I? About like no, what my mindset so. during that. That's weird to talk about this, I guess. Like these are the interesting stories that I can't tell because I've been playing tabletop RPGs too long. So one of the m- things that ran through my head, because my character is ultimately somebody who wants to make sure his team makes it out, because that was that's Foxtrot's character. I was ready to sacrifice Foxtrot and have him dive into the fireplace as a sacrifice so that the other two could get out. Because I I had figured out that it was it was the fireplace was basically what was something. Yeah, it was the mechanic of some kind. Yeah, that was that was the mechanic involved. in it. So if if it got fed a life force, it would basically whatever would need it to unlock would unlock so they could get out. So that was the the mindset I had. So when we were playing that game, I was like, as a person, like not my character, I was like, and like I could make the judgment call and do this. And then I can save the group and then we're good. So like I was making my, my, my piece as the, you know, the timer was getting closer and closer. I'm like, okay, I think this might have to be the move because we're getting really close. And then, you know, dad had some horrible roles and then, you know, the rest is history at that point. But like, yeah, so my character had made it out. And so, and then actually the second time was at towards the end of Hawthorne's crusade, actually. Yeah. Because I had volunteered to go inside of the, the that little enclosure thing or climb on top of it. We've talked about kind of, I guess, the story-specific stuff back when we did the post-zero for that. I guess I'm kind of more curious about the, as someone who has minimal experience with player death, both of your own and, I guess, of others, like, what is that like in some ways? Like, any like, advice you'd give people kind of how to prepare for that or kind of things that you found surprising about that kind of experience? Well, I guess... Since I knew it was coming for my Wendigo character, I mean, make your peace, I guess, with it, because, you know, it's a character you've put some work into. And so it it sucks. But like, you know, it's it's, it's just the way the story's going to kind of play out. I think if Trot would have died, I would have been a lot more torn up about it because I sure. I was I mean, to be fair, I was also playing Foxtrot a lot longer than I was playing yeah. the Wendigo characters. So I think Foxtrot would have been a very difficult death for me. So I understand, like, if it's part of the story, then yeah. But, like, I think at least if I get to kind of, if I know I'm going to die for my character, I at least, like, would like to try to go out on my terms, if you will. So, like, it's, I feel better about it in that way. But if I know I'm going to die, then yeah, it's just, I don't know. It, it, it would definitely make me sad, for sure, though, because, like, this character has become an extension yeah. of, like, myself. Like, I've been playing this character for a while. And, yes, I know it's a different personality. And it's this whole different being and it exists in, you know, in digital format in some, you know, website, Roll20 and all that stuff. But like, you know, you, you, you pour a little bit of your heart and soul each time you roll the die and come up with a little character personality. And every time you throw a little dialogue out there. And so like, yeah, sure. Like a, a piece of it dies you know, or, you know, if it dies, a piece of you dies with it. But like at the same time, it's like it was fun. Like, yeah, I, it's it was, funny you mentioned that. Like I, it's the. I've played a lot of tabletop RPG characters over the years, but like the ones that have stuck with me the longest were either the ones I successfully played the longest or my really early on ones where I think of them as bad characters. They all had kind of various either mechanical flaws or personality flaws, but like there's something, I don't know, special about your first few characters, I think. And like, I definitely kind of can remember being much more concerned about them than I probably am these days where it's like, yeah, 
Valhalla awaits, die like a badass type of thing. But and I think it's interesting you actually mentioned that whole thing. We're kind of I think it's an important thing. Like we play some very deadly games on negative modifier. Most games don't have quite the same grinder esque quality that I put your characters through. But I think like it's weird saying it, but like I prepare to be upset if something bad happens to your character. And I think that's both a way that you know you're playing a character well, like you're invested in that character. I'm not saying like don't be upset and be like, this is my custom character please don't steal etc etc i mean like when they go through something bad or something tragic happens to them like and you feel that like you've successfully connected with the character at that point i think that can be a if something real bad happens a very unsettling kind of first experience for some people and i think it's worth maybe like mentally preparing for it but like maybe just having the warning of like hey um something bad happens to your character it's gonna suck and not just if they have to make a new character standpoint like it can be real emotional for some people like it's the as someone again who kind of lives by the Valhalla awaits approach when it comes to my characters, I am in some ways envious of people that still like eight, nine characters later still kind of like have that same raw visceral reaction when something bad happens to a character. Like it's a very honest reaction, I think, in a lot of ways. Maybe it's me. I don't know. But like I felt that way when Faustus died and yeah. it wasn't even my character. Like I remember when that whole thing went down. Like, I remember, God, I can visually picture it, but I remember when we were talking, like, we see, was it, I think it was, like, the ghost or whatever of, like, Faustus, and we exit the cabin-looking house, and Faustus can't walk through the door. I think that was, like, the moment. Yeah, it's kind of the rough idea. There was some genuine panic, I think. Like, yeah. And it's, and it's one of these things where, kind of like, to this day, I still can't tell how much of that was you guys, like, having a genuine panic moment and having a, like, okay, we're acting for the sake of kind of the podcast standpoint, but yeah, it was a very real moment. It was a combination of both for me. Yeah. I will say for me, it was a combination of both. Cause it's like, wait, no, hold on. Like, wait, we can't get it. What the fuck? We can figure this so, out. We can figure yeah. this out. Yeah. No, like, cause it's a genuine, like, no, we can't like, okay. Yeah. Okay. So he's in a situation he's that, but we can at least get him out of there. So he's not trapped in there. And it's just like the doors, you know, the, the window of opportunity to get him out is closing is closing. At least in our mind, the window of opportunity is closing. Little do we know that door has already closed. We're just watching the after effects of what happened at this point. Yeah. And we're just, you know, it's like that whole situation with like, was it the Watchmen where we were like trying to stop the evil plan? And what's his face? Like, oh, yeah, I set the plan off 25 minutes ago. So yeah. we're just kind of watching the after effects at this point. So like, yeah, when watching that happen was just like, or, or rather experiencing that was like, yeah, no, it was definitely wasn't just like oh acting for the sake of acting like i was genuinely invested in like panicky for for jazz character on that situation same thing for uh what was florence when i missed the role to grab her hand at the end of uh, hawthorne's crusade when we we're making our escape that's another situation where like it that one still fucks with me if i think about it too because it's like my character has consistently hit like like life-saving roles. Like when we were escaping the the abandoned like warehouse thing and I, you know, I threw the rope in to get him out and all that stuff. And I was hitting my roles when I needed to. The important ones would hit. And that's what mattered. And so that always felt good. And so it was always like, hey, look, I may miss a couple roles for myself and I end up in maybe some weird situations, but the ones that count, those will hit and I'll be able to save the team. And that one time I could have rolled, and I think it was just even a little bit off to save 
Florence, I missed. And that was it. And she fell. And before, like, I think it was that moment of time, there was like 15 minutes or 15, 20 minutes or so between the part where she falls to her death and Firestarter and myself are escaping and we make it out. And then there's the explanation afterwards of like you telling us like, well, you know, this and that we, you know, we play out the end scenes with like, we get the letter from Florence and this and that. And then you reveal obviously the twist that she's at the end of time kind of thing. So like, she's not really dead, but she's rather in a, maybe in a worse situation. Yeah. Not to kind of spend too much time talking about Hawthorne's crusade, but yeah, like if, the goal of that was definitely to be like in the worst way possible. Like, can you have a weird reaction to, Oh God, I wish this person was dead because the situation they're in is so much worse than them no longer being alive. And that's a weird mindset to be. And that's a whole other kind of separate topic for like, if we ever spend some time talking about how to run messed up games, like I, <laughs> I, I will warn you with some new runs, some real messed up campaigns, it lingers. Like I, being done with Hawthorne's Crusade was me sitting on my couch for an hour and a half after we kind of wrapped the final episode, just like breathing out the mind poison that was that campaign. Like, I, there are parts of that campaign that just like hung around in my psyche, being like, "We're terrible, and you came up with us. What does that say about you?" <laughs> but like, yeah, like there was, like I said, it, even though it wasn't my character that yeah. like died, like I, there was, I, there was, I was not prepared for that. So like there was some there was some weird like attachment to all of it. So yeah, yeah, I guess coming in as a new player and, and, and new, I guess new to the tabletop space, like I, I was not ready for that kind of visceral response internally because I genuinely felt that. And I know yeah. after we recorded everything that night, like we all kind of just hung around. I think like because we stayed up late that day. We yeah, were that was a long one. But yeah, we recorded for a long time. And I think even after we stayed around for a good hour just kind of chatting to kind of just get the you know just get the vibe all situated but like yeah no that was uh, i can't even imagine what it's gonna be like when it's my character at that point when i have a character i've invested so much in have them die but like that was my reaction when it was other people's characters that that i was invested in dying so like i don't know but yeah that was say i was not expecting to be that invested in like a character death in this in a tabletop campaign i know and i guess kind of like you touched on interesting topic there so we at Negative Modify are big fans of safety tools because we play some real dark-ass stuff with some frequency, and we really have a bit of our own version of that, which is that I'm lucky enough to be fairly knowledgeable and pretty decent friends with all my players, but at the same time, like, we probably could do more of the whole kind of veils and triggers and whatnot system a lot of other systems a lot of people do. I've thought about implementing more of that stuff in the future, but also we talk about that stuff a lot. Like, I think I part of what makes the show work in some ways is that like at the end of each one of our sessions, we definitely spend some time. Like if some messed up stuff happens that session, I definitely try and do a like, Hey, is everyone okay after that? And I think that's a, as in, like, that's one of the biggest pieces of advice I can give to a new GM is the idea that like, I think it's okay to do dark and kind of sinister and dark stuff. And like, even if everyone's okay with it, like make sure you're checking with your players too. Like it's the, you never know, kind of know what might knock something loose in someone's mind that like they're in the moment okay with, but then kind of it like it sits there and slowly kind of like whispers into their ear for a couple of minutes after you're done playing. And I don't know, I'm, I'm probably rambling some at this point, but I think like from the pure new GM standpoint, definitely kind of have a dialogue with your players after each session, just like 
if it's just kind of like blown off steam of being like, oh man, that combat encounter went way too long. Like just kind of give people a chance to adjust back to reality, I think is maybe the phrase I'm trying to say. Yeah, I will say it. I've said it before several times and I'll say it again. Charlie has been a phenomenal GM when it comes to like checking in on us, especially like after having events like that happen, when we hit like some real like either dark topics or when we hit some real just like heavy parts of the story, whether it be like some just some dark stuff in general or when it whether it be like just the dialogue or something that was just heavy in general. Like I think actually now that if I think back, the first time you ever checked in on us afterwards was when we when we killed that one lady in Vicky, her yeah. house, Vicky. Yeah. And so like I think even though like, you know, that that whole thing went down and then when that episode was done, we you checked in on us because like, hey, look, I know that kind of was like a weird like and this and that like you guys okay and like and charlie's made it a habit and like i said it's a it's a wonderful habit and charlie's been a phenomenal gm i can't praise you enough on this whole thing like i know yeah that's kind of like the flip side of it too where like it's i have certain habits i've picked up because i learned from some really great gms like my best piece of a new player advice is if you can find some really great gms that like don't just get it but like want other people to get it play with them as much as you can like and I think that like people that genuinely want people to enjoy tabletop RPGs will, I'm not going to say like go out of their way and bend over backwards to make it happen. But like half the fun of tabletop RPGs for me is playing it with other people, whether they've played it or not. And it's part of why we're doing this episode, I guess, because it's, I can't offer perspective on that anymore because I've been playing this too long, but like, Mm -hmm. it's fascinating. Kind of like, I, I think I said this kind of somewhat earlier. I learned stuff about what I should and shouldn't be doing kind of other stuff I can do and kind of, other ways I can take things from veteran players as much as I learn from new players type of thing. Like it's a, you never stop learning, I think. And I think that's kind of an important thing to keep in mind that like, even if you played the same tabletop RPG for decades, you're still going to find something new with a person you've never played with before, hypothetically. And it's important to kind of embrace that kind of learning experience. Like I think not to get too philosophical, but like the idea of like always be trying to learn something new from each session or kind of, Maybe not explore, but kind of like never think you know everything about anything. And admittedly, the games we play, it's a little bit easier to kind of embrace that mindset, like for other things where it's a little bit more, I don't want to say rigid, but like there's only so many ways to make a warlock in D&D. I get it. You kind of think you know everything, but like maybe someone will be brave enough to do something real weird and be like, hey, can I do X, Y, and Z with these kind of collection of bizarre items we have? And I don't know. I, as someone who genuinely enjoys kind of being surprised with, what my players do don't lose that sense of wonder you have when you start for start playing i know it's easy to kind of get jaded on a variety of topics but like it's supposed to be fun and if you're not having fun like trying to figure out why you're not having fun i think that's kind of one of the biggest things a lot of players maybe miss is that this is supposed to be fun and the goal is always to be having fun yeah. maybe it's fun in a dark moment but like it's very easy to kind of get bogged down in petty disputes or kind of like rule lawyering or something where it's like does it really matter nah yeah. And like, I, th- I think just to kind of add a little bit on there, like, it, yeah, like, we deal with some like, you know, interesting topics here and there and some things get a little dark, but like you do a really good job of like, I guess the way I would phrase it is you do a very good job at respectfully pushing the envelope with some of that stuff. Like you, you or rather respectfully kind of pushing the, the boundaries with it. And, but you always check in with us, which is like, yeah. like I said, it's the nice no, yeah, thing guess, afterwards. I guess that's probably an important thing to kind of note as a, as a veteran GM, kind of advice I give to new GMs on that topic, like, 
figure out what you do well as a GM. Like, and I'm not saying like you have to know what your thing is. Like, I may not know myself exactly as a person, but when it comes to kind of my GM style and what I like to do, I'm pretty aware of the games I like to run and kind of how I have fun with them and all that stuff. And it took a long time for me to get there type of thing. Like I've played a lot of games. I know it's not maybe necessarily the most popular opinion, but I genuinely think like when you first get to tabletop RPGs, just play a bunch of them, like figure out what you do and don't like, and like, don't guess how I get too bogged down in one thing. Like it's why we bounce around some with Negmod at the end of the day too. Like I think it's variety's the spice of life, but I think also you'll just kind of learn stuff as both a player and a GM just by playing a variety of games. And I think it's easier to kind of improve as a player and a GM once you figure out what you do and don't like within the hobby. Like I know some people that can't stand being players despite spending years. Like they were way too into the idea of being a player. Like they're like, okay, I want to, I want to do this with a character. And eventually someone kind of like, if you thought about trying to be a GM and they try, or they just tried for one situation or another and they realized that like, no, no, behind the screens where I always wanted to be actually, I just never thought to kind of put two and two together. I don't know. I think it's, I put this without sounding way too weird. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people get bogged down in the idea of what like the new player experience is supposed to be. And yes, we're doing an episode on what the new player experience is supposed to be. But like, I think it's important to remember it's a little bit different for everyone and kind of going to us. They're looking for other people to give you the exact kind of roadmap on what to look out for and what to make sure you do. I'm not running your table for you unless I am type of thing, but folks, I'm having fun. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. And, and like I said, so far I've had a blast. Like it's been really, really fun. So I, I look forward to you know the all the other Delta Green campaigns and other stuff we play. Yeah, but I guess kind of like let's take this to some real specific to new player, new player experience questions or kind of stuff that's kind of more I don't want to say formulate, but kind of more constructive and just kind of the general experience. Like as someone who I'd kind of described as far like you you've been in a year long campaign that makes you as much a veteran as many other people out there in my perspective, but kind of getting into that, like admittedly you kind of went from zero to a hundred in some ways on that topic. Were there some things you wish you'd kind of known about the hobbies in general? I got, sorry, to back up a second, like one of my favorite Alex new to tabletop RPG stories I have is you were going somewhere and you sent me a text of like, man, I'm thinking about buying some more dice. Is that a thing? I was like just going to bring up that yep. story actually. Yeah. So it's funny you brought that one up because, like I said, I was about to bring that one up. But yes, the dice story, because, yeah, we play all of our games on roll 20. I don't actually have to roll any dice for anything. So, like, the fact that I happen to be at a tabletop. Well, it, yeah, I was at a board game shop and they have some cool tabletop stuff there, too. They have a whole corner for like D&D and a bunch of other stuff. And actually, it's funny, too, because I was talking to the guy who owns the shop and I was talking to him and preaching the good word of Delta Green He's pushing them dice on you because that's his job. No, actually, he didn't push the dice at all. I was looking at the dice because I saw them on the display. But I had gone over and I was looking at them and I was like, oh, these look really nice. And so I, I happen to have like free gift card money. So I was like, maybe I should pick up some dice. And I had some left over from the board games I bought. And I had sent Charlie a text of some like, oh, yeah, these dice are really cool. What was the name of that brand of dice that you really like, Charlie? And then like, uh, that's what I had messaged you, I think. Right. There's a couple. Yeah, I got yeah. a couple I like. And so we can figure out which brand of dice it is if they want to sponsor this podcast. Yeah, then we, we can specifically name you. But for all intents and purposes, we don't know for sure. But if you want to sponsor us, hit us up and we'll say you're our favorite <laughs> dice. But 
Yeah, we, are, so was... we are open to bribery on this topic. <laughs> so I was, I was, yeah, I just remember like he took his photos, and then the absolute shock when you were like, "It's, it's." Well, I can't remember what you said specifically, but you said, like, "I sent you a screen cap of the Urban Dictionary entry for Dice Goblin." Yes, that's what it was. It was the Urban, yeah, the Urban Dictionary description of a Dice Goblin, and then you started to show me all the dice you had. And the pure volume of dice that you own and the fact that you had multiple and you're like, these are just the ones that are not in storage was amazing. And I was like, do I want to go down this rabbit hole? Ultimately, I didn't buy the dice. But yeah, like it was just (laughs) the absolute number of volume of dice that you had was amazing. And, And it wasn't just like, it wasn't shitty looking dice either. It was actually some really nice looking looking dice stuff that you had. Like it was all sorts of different stuff that you had, different colors, styles. Some of them look kind of metallic and this and that. Like it was really, oh, really. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I am not as bad on the dice goblin top dice goblin topic as many people out there. Not, not bad. I, 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 I have more self control than I think lots of people have on that topic. And I try and buy stuff I think is unique. And as a result, I have a collection of. Some just real weird looking dice with some frequency. Yeah. And I so I own two sets of dice. But Alex, you only need one set of dice to play more or less every game. So the other set I'm actually gonna give away at some point. It's it's an extra it's an extra life dice set, actually. Some it was some indie dice company. They made an extra life set. And so I bought two sets for myself that I keep on my dice tower, which I don't know if I told you, but I have a dice tower. But yeah, I have a dice tower with one set of dice in it, and then I have the other one that I'm going to give out at some point. But yes, I do own two sets of dice. But personally, I have one set of dice that's open. That's one for now. I was actually bringing up the story to kind of illustrate a, a totally separate point. This wasn't just a <laughs> I shame you for lack of a better phrase. It was the fact that like I just assumed everyone who's been playing tabletop RPGs as long as you had come across the phrase dice goblin or was familiar with the whole kind of concept of the ever-growing horde of dice and yeah i've had like 15 plus years to accumulate my horde and it's nowhere near as impressive as many people i know out there type of thing that have some just real primo real impressive just stacks upon stacks of dice but yeah i I don't know i I found kind of like it's very easy for me to make assumptions about like what people do and don't know about kind of the culture around the hobby necessarily like as much as dice gobbling is a real problem that we should seek help for it's also kind of a fun tongue-in-cheek joke that we all have we're like unless you're grinding up the dice and snorting them which you should not do it will probably kill you because most dice are, are i'm assuming they have some type of poisonous material mm. you're not like putting yourself into destitute situations financially and buy the dice yeah unless you're buying that dice that's made out of human bone i still say buy those dice those things are badass <laughs> They do look really fucking cool. If I, okay, if I had fuck you money, I would buy them. I don't have fuck you money, and I still think about those dice on, like, a weekly <laughs> basis. The dice thing was kind of, that was a fun little adventure. Yep, haven't gone down the the loop, the, the, I guess the rabbit hole of, of a lot of a dice, but. So what were we circling back on that question? Because the, the, the dice story came up in, in reference to a question that you were ramping up for me, and I can't and remember it kind of like, me. things that surprised you as a new player, I suppose, kind of like, Things that either like no one would have thought to have warned you about or kind of given you a heads up about or kind of like everyone comes into this hobby with some type of version of expectation or kind of assumptions about things like were there just kind of some moments that like stick out to you as just kind of like, huh, didn't expect that or kind of like 
this is completely different than what I thought this would how this would function type of thing. Uh, the pure amount of variety in different tabletop games that were out there is probably the one thing that hit me the hardest is like there are so many variations of tabletop games that are out there. I was under the assumption like D&D is probably the biggest one you hear about. Yep, that is the biggest one you hear about. Yeah. So it's like, OK, it's going to be something very similar to D&D. And like I'd never heard of Delta Green. I'd never heard of Tales from the Loop and never. I mean, I've heard of Vampire the Masquerade, the video game, but never heard about it in a tabletop aspect. That's put you on blast again. Did you know there was a tabletop RPG the video game was based off of? No. Fair enough. Yeah. I knew Vampire the Masquerade was a game. I knew it was an RPG game because people really, really like it. Yeah. But I had no idea it, it came from a tabletop. So, you know, don't let me surprised. No, and I think that's kind of a, that's a very honest, I think, actually kind of answer to that question where, like, it's, I'd be tempted if I was in your situation, but oh, yeah, I totally knew that shit and lie because... I don't like being embarrassed about that type of stuff. But yeah, I think it's... Did you find kind of the variety of all of it overwhelming or anything like that? Or like it was... A... Oh, yeah, like for sure. But not in a bad way. Like, in a way, like, hmm. If I had to describe it, it's overwhelming in a good way. Kind of like when you... Like when you're a kid and you walk into a toy store that specializes in like the toys you really like. Sure. Kind of thing where it's like, oh, this is awesome. Oh, but this is also awesome over here oh, look at this. This is really neat and cool. Like, it's one of those situations where, like, the more I was introduced to it, the more I was excited about the whole thing. So, like, it was really cool. So, like, when we jumped into Tales from the Loop, like, oh, yeah, this is really neat. This is really cool. And then you're like, hey, by the way, I got this other game called Delta Green. You want to try that? And I was like, yeah, that's cool. And it's just like, you know, I'm getting reeled in more and more. Kind of, you know. Thing. I have and never then, pitched Delta Green to anyone in a way that doesn't make it sound like I'm tr- proposing a drug deal. I'm realizing that now. It's always me being like, you want to play some Delta Green? Yeah. <laughs> and then, what was it? Uh, I, what was it? Was it, it was Suborium? Or I uh, Subarum, yeah. Subarum, yes. And then we did Subarum. And I remember, like, you were telling me about it. Like, oh, yeah, you know, you described it. And then you showed us the artwork. And God, the artwork on that game was just gorgeous and yeah, like I, I love the fact that the current cast has not played that game but they are like painfully aware of that game it's also used as a threat in the background like when some <laughs> fantasy nonsense is happening in our private chat stuff eventually it leads to the bp like that's it Sumbarum's next yeah none of this fantasy bullshit yeah and then speaking of artwork like was it coriolis also just gorgeous Free League's art should be illegal to a certain extent. That's unfair, the art they put out. It is. Man, when you were just... I forgot the way you, like, described it for Coriolis, but, God, it was so accurate, and it's so good-looking. Like, everything Coriolis is just great. And, like, I just... Yeah, I really liked it. But, like, yeah, it's just, like... Like, they did not have to go that hard on on, on art for a tabletop game, but they did, and I respect it. Like, it, it was... It's great. So, yeah, it's just the, the, the just the, like said, the amount of just tons of like tabletop stuff that's out there has just been great as far as like there's a little bit for everyone, you know, like there's. Oh, yeah. If you like a little bit more fantasy and whatnot, then, yeah, you've got your D&D. But if you want something a little more gritty, like if you like a lot of like, you know, Lovecraftian Cthulian type stuff, hey, there's Call of Cthulhu. Oh, uh, well, like, what if you want to throw a little bit of a twist and maybe do a little Delta Green? We can do that, too. Well, what if I want to be a space pirate or some sort of a space mercenary? Well, hey, Coriolis is right around the corner down that way. Like, there's just, you know, like, 
his introduction and then you've got vampires too like if you want to go the vampire route that's fine too like a little bit of everybody and then i think that's it's kind of the thing that's really, really nice about it is just yeah there's just sheer volume of just tons of stuff and it and yeah when you when you just kind of throw it out there it sounds overwhelming but it's also just it's great that you have such variety that like you can have such a huge community of people that will you know fall under the umbrella of tabletop that also kind of just at the end of the day just a bunch of friends that get together and play you know a tabletop game for fun so and so building off that variety topic so negative modifier we kind of have a bit of a it's not quite a democracy but we could do kind of discuss mm-hmm. hey what do people want to play next after stuff and kind of bounce some ideas around and do a little bit of voting on like hey where's interest at for taking it in this direction or not like have you i guess found any games that like we haven't talked about as part of a cast or anything like that or have you spent some time just kind of seeing what else is out there of your own accord to see like oh hey is there maybe something along the lines of like maybe not charlie's interest but like hey maybe this is something i find interesting and i want to kind of pursue that have that area of inquiry i haven't really pursued that many because i know we've kind of we've kind of dabbled in a few different ones recently not to like spoil anything out there and all that but like I will say I I do miss Delta Green and that I like I'm I'm enjoying the Jack Frost campaign. I do I am looking forward to like kind of diving back into doing like my own character for Delta Green again, but I haven't really looked around for any of the other games. I I know at some point I do want to try Call of Cthulhu. Maybe just to at least try it once. I know that I think you, Yeah, just to have the perspective for it. But I think you've mentioned before like Call of Cthulhu, the players are pretty like the players are not, for lack of a better term, they're not very strong at all. They're just kind of no, weak. Yeah, I, it's one of the things I like most about Delta Green compared to Call of Cthulhu is that, like, your characters aren't superhuman, but they feel good at their jobs, I think is a phrase I frequently use. But yeah, that's a whole other kind of separate topic of, like, how much power fantasy do you want in a game versus, like, how much of a person do you want to be? But so, such kind of interesting you mentioned that. Oh, I'm trying to circle back to my brain to what you were just saying I thought was intriguing. You've now played a character that you came up with on your own, and you've also now played a character that was a pre-gen. What was that experience like? I guess, like, having relatively fresh experience with pre-gen characters, like, which one do you find easier, and which one, I guess, do you prefer at the end of the day? Oh, my own made one. Hands down. Easy. Like, don't get me wrong, I like, I, 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 having read the bio for the character, it's, I can kind of make it work and all that stuff, because I... I, I I feel like I can kind of make it work and I understand it, but like I I like kind of pouring a little bit of myself yeah. into characters, and I felt like with Foxtrot, I there's a little bit of like personalization which I really enjoy, and I feel like it it, it just feels better overall vibe wise when it's just something that I've created and put my work into. Not to say you know pre-gen characters and that stuff is bad. I mean it's it's a good you know kind of a guiding situation and and all that, but like. Yeah, there's just something really special about something that you created and the character that you've put together and put time into the design, even with all their flaws and things like that, that it's just something that, like, I prefer it is my own personal character. No, yeah, I find it easier to run stuff that I have come up with, I guess. Like, I find modules that are pre-written a little bit harder to run than stuff I came up with all my own because, like, sounds silly. I'm not, I don't, I don't feel beholden to someone else's idea of how things should play out. Like, it's it's all my dumb idea at the end of the day. So I don't feel bad kind of messing it up. And like, I guess like from a GM perspective, I feel kind of pressure to make sure I'm doing justice to what they're doing. Do you feel any of that when it comes to pre-gens or is it more just like, this isn't your characters. You're not like as invested in them because you don't relate to them. Well, 
I try to be invested into them because I feel like it'd be an injustice not to oh, yeah, invest sure, in no. the character. I'm not saying you're not invested um, in sports. It's a different type of investment. Yeah, it's a different type of investment because obviously I want to do the character justice. But at the same time, it's like, well, I think for me, the difference between like having my own personal character and opposed to a pre-gen is I'm not I'm not second guessing decisions on my character because I'm not thinking to myself, well, would would this character make that decision? Because my personal character, well, yeah, that character would make this decision because it's me and I'm making that choice. Yeah. As opposed to a pre-gen, it's like, well, would they make this choice? Is this the accurate choice? And yes, I understand that, like, I am assuming the reins of this character. And so, yes, it is the decision that I'm making. The, the character's decision is my decision. So, yes, technically, for all you know, intents and purposes, yes, that's the decision. But I'll never find myself second guessing whether or not that decision was made because it was the right choice from like a moral standpoint or whether or not it was the right choice because that's what the character would actually do. If you get what I'm saying. No, I do actually. I think it's kind of interesting. Like I guess kind of as a relatively new player to the whole kind of hobby in general, do you find that like playing a pre-gen character is kind of helping you grow in some ways? Do you find it just kind of a little bit irksome? I guess like do you feel like it's been a beneficial experience overall? Like, obviously, we play a lot of Delta Green. That's the game you have the most experience with at this point. But, like, and I'd also argue that maybe, like, Delta Green pregens are a little different than most other pregens out there because they definitely feel like people in some weird ways and not just stat blocks you can kind of slap your own personality on. They definitely mm. seem to have a life going on outside of them. Like, I, do you feel as though, like, yes, obviously, Dr. Merlo is not your character, but do you feel like the stuff you're learning? playing her will maybe not carry over but kind of might influence how you think about your next delta green character or kind of just characters in general because rather than making a character that fits who you want it to be you're kind of being forced to pull something off the rack and make it maybe not work but kind of like learn to operate inside of something that you wouldn't necessarily design yourself i feel i I mean i'm sure there'll be takeaways for it i might not see them right now because we're still playing through the campaign obviously as so I'm I, I'm I'm sure there will be some takeaways. I I just don't know if I see them right now. I will say though, um, having like a a more thorough bio and like some of the like more written out details for the character definitely makes it easier to like. Okay, well, like I can see why what what some of their motivating factors would be. So like I can kind of navigate the waters that way. But like I said, it's always like. I'm still going to always hark back to that, like, well, am I making the right choice for the character kind of thing? So I I think maybe if, if I were going to, like, pull a takeaway for me if for anything right now, it would be maybe to, like, hmm. Yeah, I, I think the if I had to pull a takeaway right now from the using the pre-gen characters and, like, my normal characters that I make myself would be, I guess, the the process I would go to the process I would go through in character decision-making in the story, I guess, is like kind of the way I would approach it because now I have a new perspective in terms of character decision-making. So um, I get that. I guess kind of drill down something interesting. You said if the description for your pre-gen was more vague, like it was just kind of scientist lady, maybe Argentinian background, like do you find the, I guess the, detail of it more beneficial or less beneficial i guess like this is kind of fascinating to me the whole idea that like 
I'm not sure which way you're going to go on this one, honestly, because I, 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 as someone who likes character pre-gens that are really detailed, I've never even thought about, like, if you kept it really vague so people have to fill in the cracks some more, it might be a more comfortable fit in some ways. So I, I can see both sides of it working out, sure. personally, because if it's vague, you have that opportunity to kind of fill in a little bit of yourself into it, which makes it nice because then you get to add a little bit of your personality, and then it's cool because you have a general format of where the characters are going to go but at the same time no one dr merlot or merlot will ever be the same because it gets a little bit of personalization every time somebody plays it at the same time though i feel like having too much detail makes the character rigid sure. and so it, it becomes a situation where like again it comes back to that thing where like well am i making the right choice because there's certain things that have been defined for that character and it becomes a rigid decision making process so it's yeah it's mm, there's there's pros and cons to both i think but i think no, overall I, for me i would prefer kind of a vague no it's it's just you're talking about it yeah because it kind of falls in the three categories where obviously you have custom character which is alex original character then you have kind of a dr merlo as as portrayed by alex and then you have the third option which is starring the character dr merlo being played by Alex it's it's it sounds like a kind of an arbitrary set of word distinctions but like it really is three different mindsets that I think are probably actually useful to think about before you kind of pick how to go about doing that actually especially for a new player yeah that being said though if we were doing like a one shot for one day having like a rigid character design I think would be a benefit overall sure. just because like you know exactly what you need as far as that character goes and the thought process but I think as a character that you get to play over time with kind of the way this, this yeah. character or this campaign is going, like it becomes a little bit more of a situation where like, yeah, I have enough time to like think about stuff afterwards and second guess certain things. And that's where I get in my own head about it. And maybe that's because that's more of a personal thing at that point where it's like, well, I'm getting in my own head about certain decisions that I make by characters and whatnot. But like, if we're doing like a one shot, like when, for example, when we did our extra life stream, like those characters, for the most part, you know, they're they're kind of set for the most part, but it, they're still kind of vague. But, you know, you you designed those characters for us for the most part. No, they're also kind of vague in some ways. It, it's interesting you bring up this kind of idea because, like, I guess, like, as a fairly seasoned player at this point, I like the rigidity of the character because it kind of forces me to kind of comply with someone else's idea of a character that I might not necessarily make. But it's kind of, it, it's interesting here you talk about kind of like how it's, it makes you kind of second guess your character more and kind of it's a, it actually is kind of I don't want to say a barrier to playing the character, but it does kind of add an extra layer of challenge that maybe might actually be off putting for new players at that point. Yeah, it's I think it's actually a really good point. Mm, yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I I didn't I now that like I, I kind of talk about it and I've had some time to think about it. Yeah, like I I didn't realize how much the maybe the how much the rigid like the rigidness of like a character design with like a pregen might have kind of made me second guess certain decisions and so yeah even talking about it now like it's interesting that like i think about it now but yeah interesting sure well so i guess moving on from that you're kind of in this interesting spot where you were i'd probably say like even by most people's measures you're still a relatively new player despite being a very veteran new player at this point like any advice you would give people that are either a trying to get to tabletop rpgs or kind of have a foot in the door and are trying to figure out where to go next Say, well, I guess more than anything else, I would say, don't be afraid to ask questions. Like, especially if, I mean, first off, obviously, if you have a GM who's cool with you asking questions, it's always a good start. Um, if they're not cool with you asking questions, find a new GM, like Charlie said. 
But like, yeah, no, definitely don't be afraid to ask questions, especially coming into the space new, because like I would much rather. And this also just kind of applies to me in general when I go to anything in life, like if I'm at a new job or if I'm doing something else, like don't be afraid to ask questions because that stuff like helps. It's a good learning experience and it's also a good reminder for like the people who you're working with. Like, if, like you know, if I'm going over with something with Charlie and I ask him a question about something, it's also probably a good reminder for him on some stuff. Like it's like yeah. it's just a good refresher overall. Like it's it's beneficial across the board, I think personally, to be like just kind of ask questions and and whatnot. I think is that's the first thing I would say more than anything else. Is like definitely don't be afraid to ask questions and, and have an open dialogue with people. That would be my first big piece of advice. Second, I would say is you don't always have to have your character talk or say something. I know a lot of people, and it's just kind of a, a thing with people just in general in conversation, but like some people feel like because it's a tabletop space or maybe because it's like a, a one of those situations like your character, you're, you're not acting where you're like physically standing somewhere. Your acting is your voice in the situation where you're like talking and whatnot, at least in our situation where we're recording a podcast and all that stuff. So you may feel like you have to like say something or you have to speak up or you have to add something sometimes. Like, I mean, there were times when Foxtrot literally just, just didn't say shit for like 15 minutes because it just didn't matter. Sometimes like not having to add anything to dialogue to like certain things for a tabletop is perfectly fine for a character. I think it's actually more advanced than you're bringing up in a lot of ways is kind of learning. Like silence is always an option when it comes to kind of a character thing. And I think there's ways of, having your character say a great deal in a situation by not having something to say or not having like a quip to throw in or something. I think like that's a, I think kind of not feeling that compulsion is actually a big kind of, I think it's where the milestones of people actually, they start playing. It's the whole idea where it's like, you, you no longer feel pressured to have something to say all the time. Like you kind of embrace the natural cadence of who your character might be in some ways. And I think it's actually, it's a big thing, I think, that divides kind of new players from people that have a little more kind of experience at that point, because it feels more almost like human, if that makes any sense, because oh, yeah, I don't have opinions on everything. I have a lot of opinions. Some of them are wrong with some frequency, but like you don't always have to have something to say. Sometimes it's just kind of hear it and nod and go, OK, and I guess we're doing this now or something. Yeah, no, definitely. And like, I feel like uh, if I feel like, like my character struck a good balance with that, because like. I didn't have to say anything every time. Like there's, there's no reason during like a scene, if we're at a lab doing some sort of investigation yeah. where I have nothing to say that I need to chime in for whatever reason. Like there's no, there's no point. Why would I do it? It just kind of feels weird and forced. And it just is awkward. That being said, if you're a bard, you should never shut the fuck up. You should always throw quips because you're obligated as a bard to do that every time. Know your role at that point is what you're saying. <laughs> I think, yeah, like, like I said, sometimes silence is golden, I think, and it, and it works well for a character. So, like, don't be afraid to, like, if you if you have something that your character would be on point to say, say it, you know, don't be afraid to, like, chime in and whatnot. And then when some silence is golden moments are a thing, then just, you know, sit back and, and take in the ambiance and listen to what your your cohorts are saying in, in some scenes, because sometimes there's some really cool stuff that'll that'll happen. Like, I think some there are some really cool magical moments during the podcast. Where like I literally just kind of listened to Jad and and Dylan's characters go back and forth and come up with something, or then you would chime in and kind of give us some stuff as far as what's going on, and it's just like a, a great moment to like take in. So and then I, I didn't need to ruin the scene or add anything that was unnecessary at that point. So. Yeah, it's funny about like letting stuff play for lack of a better phrase. Like yeah, it, yeah. 
Oh, and I guess kind of the biggest question a lot of people have asked that kind of sums up this entire category. It's a bit different for you because I kind of tossed you into the deep end when it came to tabletop RPGs, but as someone who's kind of now crossed that threshold, if you're curious about tabletop RPGs or kind of the hobby in general, what do you think people should be doing to kind of either get in, expand their knowledge? Like, what, what do you think the first, like, if you made like the first five steps of getting into tabletop RPGs, what do you think those have to be? And I doesn't have to be five. I think that one of the first things you would want to do is find a genre that you really enjoy. If you know you're a fantasy person, then cool, you found your genre. If you prefer something a little more dark, like Delta Green, then cool. But like I would say more than anything else, find a genre you're comfortable with and that you would like to kind of further explore. And then after that, find, I guess, individuals who are also of the similar mindset. Like I know they I don't know if meetup is still a thing, but like you can always go that route. I don't know. How do people find themselves nowadays? Is it just like Facebook groups? And that's probably my Facebook, boomer. Twitter, Reddit. Has there been more ways of meeting people? So many. So it's kind of daunting at this point. Like, I, I guess yeah. it's probably worth mentioning up. There are a couple like paid GM sites out there where if you have the money and you have like five or six friends that want to try something, you can often find someone to play that. And I guess kind of building off what you're saying, I think the idea of finding what type of game you want to play is actually really important. I think there's fair, not fair. Maybe it's just kind of suffering from its own popularity. There's definitely kind of a perspective that maybe you should start with Dungeons and Dragons. I've said this on several other podcasts. I'm going to say it on my own now, I guess. Like, I don't think Dungeons and Dragons is necessarily the best new player game out there. I think it's both more complicated than people give it credit for. And from a Dungeon Master perspective, it's a lot harder for that side of the game than the other side of the game, I think, especially for new players, because there's a lot of stuff you have to wrap your head around. And yeah, there's a glut of content out there of explaining how to do that. But I think also kind of it's one thing to watch a bunch of YouTube videos saying, here's how to make a character. Here's how to run X, Y, and Z. Here's how to do horror. Here's how to run a campaign. Here's how to run a dungeon. Here's how to build suspense. And there's a whole other thing when you actually have to implement it in person and kind of make it work. And what I'm getting at is that like, this at time of recording, this is kind of a topic floating around of there's a notable shortage of dungeon masters out there. The game's not by any measure dying, but you know, there's a lot of out there GMs that want to play something a little bit more niche. And if you can kind of find the game that like maybe appeals to you, maybe it's not exactly what you're looking for, but it's still like, say you like cyberpunk and you've heard about shadow run or some other game that's a little bit bigger out there. And you find some advertising like, I don't know, like cyberpunk Tom um, red or something, maybe not exactly what you're looking for, but still within the genre. And you get to play at that point, which I think is in some ways more important than having it be exactly the game you were looking for in some ways. And I guess kind of also speaking from personal experience, if you're a group of people or kind of one or two people trying to find a GM and you're kind of open to the idea of, I just want to play tabletop RPGs. There is a GM I guarantee out there that you maybe don't directly know, but tangentially know that has had some game on their shelf that they've been dying to play and are more than happy to make the deal of, I will happily run this for you if we can play this specific game. And assuming that person's not being a jerk and making you play something like GURPS for your first game, which is just incredibly complicated or something painfully dark, like cult or even there's bad first games out there i think from either a complexity standpoint or just kind of a theme and topic standpoint but also that's you're into what the hell do i know on that topic type of thing if you want that super level of crunch go fucking for it go forth and have fun but 
I think it's one of those things where if you're willing to embrace that kind of larger hobby of tabletop RPGs, you open up doors that maybe not kind of exist if you stick to kind of a limited perspective of I only want to play X. I think yeah. that kind of helps get into the hobby in general. Yeah, I agree. Find the niche that you're looking for. Find that, that genre that you like. Yeah. Like I said, I didn't start with D&D. I knew, I knew of it, but like, I, I mean, my first one was Tales from the Loop, technically. Interesting you bring that up. So you play video games, you're into kind of all the stuff I think of tangentially related to the tabletop RPG hobby. Prior to me kind of tossing you into Tales from the Loop, had you been curious even really about tabletop RPGs? Were they kind of a, yeah, it'd be kind of fun to try one or kind of like, eh, not for me. So it's funny. I had actually been kind of like curious about tabletops. I just never pulled the trigger on it because at the time I had a coworker who was a huge tabletop person actually. And she was telling me that like she would, she would do a bunch of games and all that stuff. And she actually told me, Hey, you ever want to do a one-off, let me know. And I can let my friends know and we can just do a one-off campaign thing. And then I was like, yeah, sure. I'll, you know, I'll think about it. And then I never took her up on it. And then you hit me up and then I was like, well, Hey, this is, uh, this is my shot. We'll just kind of go with this. And then, yeah. So yeah, I almost actually did get my exposure to D and D first, but I just never kind of really went through with it, which is funny because like, now that I think about it, I, so I play world of Warcraft and so I really like the kind of the, the settings and all the stuff that goes on with, you know, especially now with Dragonflight and this and that. That being said, I fucking love Delta Green as a setting for a campaign for tabletop. And I don't know, like, I think having gone into Delta Green and then if we were for whatever reason one day to play like a D&D type campaign, I think I would want us to go back to Delta Green sooner than later. Sure. At some point, just because I think like I enjoy that table type, that tabletop side of like genre a lot more, I think, than D&D now. I like the memes from D&D, but. That's actually an interesting point you bring up, like just because you have just because you like a certain kind of genre outside of the hobby does not mean you're going to like playing that hobby necessarily. Like, yeah, I I like fantasy video games and movies infinitely more than I like the tabletop RPGs for them, ironically. Like it's I feel like I can get kind of that itch scratched other places. And you're right. Like it's the I don't like spending too long away from Delta Green because I just really like playing Delta Green at the end of the day. Like there's just something about that kind of style of game. I'm not talking like the Eldritch Horror investigation. I'm talking like the normal people with relatively normal skills doing something absolutely crazy. That's kind of a thing I'm about when it comes to that type of stuff. And I guess kind of go back to what you're talking about with this pulling the trigger. Like, what do you think the biggest hurdle you had for not pulling the trigger was when your friend was offering? Was it just kind of nerves? Didn't want to like be the new person at it. Like what was the thing that kind of kept you the most from diving in? I think it was just kind of lack of commitment to wanting to actually go to a sure. a game, if you will. Cause like the other thing too is like, yeah, I'm, I'd also be very nervous because I never had played anything like that before. So like going into it because she would tell me like they have this whole setup and whatnot. And so like, it's really cool. And I think it's awesome that she has like a dedicated group of friends that she would play the tabletop stuff with. It's just, I also just didn't want to go in there and like, you know, show up and be like a huge noob. Like I think in yeah. person it would have been really kind of weird. And again, like I'm sure they would, they wouldn't have been judgmental about it or anything like that. It's personal. Like I guess nerves at that point. I think that's normal for most people. I think that's, I think you're talking about the biggest hurdle lots of people face approaching any hobby, which is, I don't want to feel judged. I don't want to look like an idiot. And most people, if they're not dicks, they're like, hey, you want to check this out? Cool. Yeah. And, and it's funny too, because like this, I, I know her. She's a coworker. Yeah. Or at least she, I mean, she was at the time. She, she's moved on to do other project stuff now. But like, 
you know, so it's not like I'm going to meet up with a group of complete strangers, to be fair, like she would be there and then like her husband and I think like a few other people. But like I wasn't going in completely like to strangers, but still, it just kind of felt like odd a little bit or at least I felt odd not to say they were odd or anything like that. It was just it was all me. So I was just like, eh. and so I just never pulled the trigger to commit on that. So it was just a personal thing. I just never opted to do it ultimately. And then you and I had already been working on podcast stuff before. Yeah. And then you're like, well, hey, I've got, a, you know, this other thing we could try. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? I'm doing a thing. Yeah, it's a good motivator. So I guess kind of a hypothetical question for you. Like if you had been joining a totally random group, like if you found like you're on some forum site and you're just like, hey, I want to play this type of genre game. And some Internet stranger was like, hey, I run that type of game. And I have three other people that like have also I've talked to. I can step this game up. Would you be interested in like none of us have played together before? Would that have been more or less comfortable or kind of, I guess, like, would you have been more interested in doing that in some ways or kind of less concerned about doing that, doing the first game with your friend or not? I think it was if it was all online, maybe not as much. I think it was the in-person aspect that I sure. kind of felt a little bit like weirded about on with it. I think online, maybe if I had yeah, done my search online, it would have been less awkward for me, which is funny, too, because I'm. You, you've known me for a long time. I'm yeah. pretty extroverted. So it's not like I'm an introvert and I just stay home all the time. But I think I think at that point, too. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I think it, it might have been. I don't know. I think I might have also just kind of been a little bit weirded out with it. I think ultimately the only reason I even considered doing a tabletop personally was because you've done a good job of like curating a nice space for these kind of things. So. I think ultimately the biggest factor of why I even jumped on board to do tabletop was because you were running it, personally sure. speaking. No, that's a, that's a good thing to keep in mind. I also think the digital topic you mentioned is actually interesting because as much as I miss in-person gaming, I would be hard-pressed to say I don't prefer the online version any day of the week. I think there's just something... Some things get lost, I think, but I think also there's just a convenience factor in a weird way of doing the online space. And I think it, like... From a new player perspective, I think kind of like a personal safety perspective or something like that, it's much easier to just close a window, I think, on a computer in some ways than to, if you find yourself in an uncomfortable situation in person, I think that's actually a, I think that's actually a thing that people should be more aware of, I guess. Like, it's much easier to kind of walk away from a situation you're not comfortable with or don't like in a digital format than it is to kind of do it in store and thinking on it more, I definitely would probably recommend, like, if you're looking to get into it, maybe try and find some online games first. Like, it's, there's a nice anonymity to it, I think, that helps out. Yeah, no, definitely. I agree there. That being said, though, like I said, it was just you happen to approach me with it. and I generally believe the best way to get in tabletop RPGs is know someone that, like, is maybe a tad too passionate about tabletop RPGs and is like, what do you want to play? Shut up, we're playing this, because I want to yeah. play something, yeah. I feel as though we've probably beaten this topic to death and then some. Hopefully anyone listening learns something if they were interested in the topic or... I guess found it at least interesting and maybe thought provoking to get through it. If you enjoyed this, please let us know. Uh, we can be contacted through most social media. The Patreon has public access as well as private stuff. We can be contacted at negative modifier gmail.com. There actually is an email for that. It's also on the website or the kind of link tree we have for all this stuff. Or yeah, we'd love to hear from you. If you kind of enjoyed this and want to hear more of this type of stuff in the future, let us know because feedback means more of that will happen. And also, if you did not like this, also let us know so we don't make that mistake again. Yeah. 
that being said, if you do sign up for the Patreon, there is a special Patreon channel on Discord. And if you want to ask me questions related to this podcast, you can ask them there and I will answer them personally. There is a negative modifier Discord. We're all pretty active on there. I think it's called the Majestic Channel right now as of recording this because we keep changing the name because we think we're funny that way. There are special Patreon privileges there. It's kind of private channels. We talk about some stuff. The Patreon also has all our session zeros and some outtake stuff and just some other things like ad-free episodes. And yeah, it's, we hope it's worth your money and we enjoy it and help support the show. But also, your listenership is more than enough for us and we appreciate you listening to us. And bearing with this disruption to Jack Frost, or if this is out of order when you're listening to it, I hope you enjoyed Jack Frost and there was no disruption. What is future? What is Patrick talking about? He's obviously a liar. But yeah, if you enjoy the show, drop us a review, recommend us to your friends. It's going up around the holiday season. So if you're looking to do something in that spirit of things, if you got a friend or an enemy of some kind you think might enjoy the show or you want to punish by inflicting upon them, let them know about us or yeah, helps the show grow. And that's fun for us. We honestly love hearing from people about the show. Like it's one of my, as someone who runs it, I think. One of my favorite things to get listener reaction of just us when stuff that we think is going to be cool drops and people are like, what the fuck? It's just kind of fun all around, I think. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I, I definitely like hearing uh, whenever we get like emails and stuff like that. It's always fun to hear from folks. It's something we record and we have fun with, but it's also like, you know, something we kind of put a little bit of our heart and souls into yeah. putting into. I, I know it's how that line sounds kind of cheesy, but like, honestly, like it's. We put in time and effort into some of the stuff to really enjoy ourselves. And so it's nice to it feels really good to hear to hear that, like some people out there on the Internet happen to listen in and enjoy a little bit of something that we did. So, yeah, we comments are always appreciated. It sounds kind of hokey and cheesy to say it, but the enjoyment we feel at you enjoying the podcast is unmeasurable. Indeed. Like we are honored and touched every time people show up for our live streams or just. Nothing makes me happier than encountering someone talking about negative modifier in the wild where it's like, this podcast doesn't suck. Yeah, we don't suck. Like we had a more eloquent way of closing this out. But yeah, like I said, if you enjoyed this, please let us know and we'll do more of this stuff in between seasons of some kind. I have a couple other topics. We had some great kind of topics pop up in those questions I put out. And also I have a collection of my own stuff. Yeah. Jack Frost hopefully resumes next week or it's already concluded by now if I've done some reordering madness with this. Uh, Thank you for listening. Uh, We hope you enjoyed. 